The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you do not, there's one under a chair in front of you. We're on page 965 in the chair Bible. We're at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17 this morning. Uh, Just letting you guys know up in the booth. I'm going to forego forego reading the text in its entirety. We'll work through it in, in the sermon. Let me share with you something special about today. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Today is the 56th anniversary on October the 6th. Uh, Parkwood Baptist Church met together for the very first time in the little wooden building across the parking lot. It was planted out of East Baptist Church. Uh, M.O. Owens uh, planted the church and pastored till 1979 in this local congregation. Uh, the second thing you need to know is that today, they're probably about to wrap up, for the first time out of this local church, Redemption Hill Church met this morning for their very first public worship service. So God continues to bless and to send out faithful churches from among this local church. So praise God. Let's, amen. Now, the reason that God is able to continue able to do that among us is we planted this church in a healthy way. This church is not the result of division. And today, that's our subject. So if you're new to Parkwood, if you're logging in the first time online, there's not a problem at the church why I'm preaching this sermon. We're preaching through 1 Corinthians, and this is where we're at today. We come to chapter 3, and it's a message on division. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll launch into the text. Father, thank you for your holy word and the opportunity we have now to come and study it. Thank you from the onset, from the very beginning. Parkwood was a church founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ and centered on the teaching and preaching of the word of God. Thank you for the faithfulness of M.O. Owens and Ned Matthews who followed him. And thank you that you've entrusted the opportunity for me to continue to lead and preach in such a way that it points to Christ. Thank you this morning that Casey Shaw will take up the mantle of leading the local church Redemption Hill in Mount Holly. Thank you for his commitment to the word of God and the commitment of those brothers and sisters to take the gospel to that growing community and to those who are moving into that area. Use them, Lord. We also pray for Exodus, for Seven Oaks, and for Battleground Church and Kings Mountain. Lord, continue to bless those churches which have birthed out of us recently. Lord, continue to do your work. Raise up brothers and sisters from among us in a healthy way and continue to send people to the nations and to our neighbors with the gospel. Use this message to that end, we pray and we plead in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't expect you to know the name Tom Rainer, but he was over Lifeway. He recently uh, retired. Rainer is known for his insightful research into the lives of Baptist churches. Lifeway is the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. He published a blog based off his research of silly reasons why churches get into division. He he posted his top 25. I'm just going to pick four of them. Number one, a church that got into a huge dispute almost come to the point of splitting because the church budget 
was off 10 cents. Now here's how they overcame it. After the third business meeting, a man finally stood up and said, I'll give a dime to solve this matter. (laughs) Hello. Rainer said, if it was a penny, this would have been a 10 times bigger problem. But anyway. Uh, A dispute over a church on whether or not they were going to serve deviled eggs at their church suppers. Now, I just wish I was at that meeting. You know, did somebody get in their brain that these are of the devil? I mean, I don't know. That would have been a good one. Two business meetings, two entire business meetings in a church devoted to whether or not the church was going to purchase a weed eater. I've been to one like this. This is the worst one. This led to a split. The church split down the middle over this simple fact. They had multiple meetings over it. And it was who was allowed to use the vacuum cleaner. Now, brothers and sisters, though it's a different subject, this text addresses that kind of immature behavior. Here's the main idea. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we must reject immature behavior in the local church and pursue the building up of the church as God's fellow workers. Let's take the first half of that. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we must reject immature behavior in the local church. He begins, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now the word brothers use this multiple times as a family term it could be translated brothers and sisters it is speaking to the family relationship between Christians in Christ because we are in Christ we are bound together in a real family the family of God of which we are blood brothers and sisters not of human blood but of the blood of Christ and he's saying to them even though you are in the family. So he's saying you're believers, you're Christians. Even though you're in the family, even though you are in Christ. That's how he ends the sentence in verse 1. You're not acting like it. You're not acting like it at all. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now here's their immature behavior. It's a little more spiritual than vacuum cleaners. Their immature behavior is they were siding up with their favorite preacher. Now, this is cultural. You didn't just like a preacher. You followed him. He he became the main influence in your life. So I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. So here's how this immature behavior, I think, played out. I think there's New Testament evidence that Apollos was a better preacher than Paul in terms of his rhetorical ability. When he got up, he had unusual gifts in how he preached. So I think here's what was happening. There were people at Corinth going, man, 
Apollos is just better preacher, man. I, I like Apollos is preaching better, so I'm going to follow Apollos. And then you had another group of people who said, look, Paul started this church. Be loyal. I'm with Paul. So that's how they divided up. They separated up out of this immaturity. Now, he's already appealed to them in chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you are united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's not saying, I want all of you to line up under me or all of you to line up under Apollos. There's something that brings us together. Now, how do you come to this? Well, first you've got to understand that when you're acting as people of the flesh or as spiritual infants, or let's just say it the way we would, as spiritual babies, you can't come to that point. When he says that you're people of the flesh, he's not talking about morality here. He'll deal with that later in, in the epistle. Right now, he's talking about just their way of life, how they view life, how they look at each other, how they view the relationship of the church. They're not looking at it through God's word and God's eyes. They're looking at it on a human level. And when you look at things like that on a human level, it's easy to become divisive and to fight with each other. And their issue is what they were doing. They were saying some Christians are more superior than others. Now here's how it normally happens in a church. I've been in this church 50 years, you newcomer. You never heard that, have you? Whippersnappers taking over the church. We think we're more superior than others. Listen to me. Parkwood's very calm and wise about how we bring people into leadership. We're slow. So if you're new here, we're slow. That's not a judgment that we think you're less than a Christian. We just want to make sure you really are one. And I mean that in fullness. But when we, when we bring you into the fellowship of believers here, there's no superiority. We don't play how long you've been here card. We are in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. Now when we start acting in the flesh, what it does is hinder our spiritual growth. Now you could take this discussion about milk and solid food, and that's a whole nother message you could take, and you could go to Hebrews 5 and 6 where he picks it up again. I think the meaning that he has in Hebrews 5 and 6 is a little subtly different here. I think here what he's saying is that because you're given into your natural instincts, you're curbing your appetite and your ability to be able to process spiritual food. Because you're still acting like babies, you can't eat what it's going to take to move you forward, to grow into adulthood, if you will. He says, you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you. So here's how the flesh was rearing its head. There was jealousy. So jealousy comes when I compare myself to you. And if I think you're better than me, i got to bring you down a notch or two so I can prove I'm better than you. That's how jealousy works. Got to either strip away what you have or I got to get more than you've got. When jealousy gets a root, then strife starts. So you got to fight with each other to get your place and side up where you need to be. So this 
theological evaluation is not a moral evaluation. Hear what he's saying. The reason I'm saying theologically, he's saying you're not God-centered, you're self-centered. You're not seeking the things of God, you're self-indulgent. You're not humble, you're arrogant. You're not looking to the Holy Spirit, you are self-sufficient. You're acting merely human. You're just acting like the world. Now he's going to take up later sexual immorality and idolatry and greed. And in every one of those, he's going to say this. You're just acting like the world. Brothers and sisters, we are a distinct people. We are to be distinct in how we live when we leave here. So when we leave here, we are, we are to give clear evidence in how we live our life and how we do our business and how we function in this community that we do so as followers of Christ. But it also affects what we do when we're together. That we are distinct when we are together. That we don't reflect the world with each other. And that's what he's saying. He's not saying it's just a couple of you that are acting like this. He's saying you've given in to the flesh and you're all acting like this. And when you get together, you're functioning in your flesh and it's keeping you babies. So how do we lay that aside and pursue being a distinct people who treat each other distinctly? Well... As brothers and sisters in Christ, we reject that immature behavior. We don't, we don't allow that to prevail. And we pursue the building up of the body, building up of the church as God's fellow workers. So there's two things going on here. First, he's giving you a proper view of spiritual leaders before God, how you ought to see them. That influences then how you see each other. Those are together. The second thing it's doing here is allowing us to see that God holds all workers accountable, all of us. So let's first look at this shared labor. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I love this. Notice how he begins. He doesn't say who is Apollos. He says, what is he? Then he says himself, what is Paul? Here's what you are. The answer is the next word. You see it? What are you? Servants. It's what we all are. We are servants. Now these two are servants, just like all followers of Christ are servants. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he says servants. Now he chooses the words very specifically. Through whom you believed. Not from whom. Through whom. That means it came from somewhere else. The gospel is from God. And it came through Apollos and Paul to them, and they believed. It's really easy to get it jumbled up in your mind when you hear the gospel from someone, an individual, or from a preacher, and get it jumbled up in your mind that that preacher got something to do with your salvation. Just servants. Through whom you believed. Then he says, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So here's how we'd say it on our 56th anniversary. M.O. planted. Ned watered for a while. That's our second pastor. Now I'm watering. So here's a couple things we need to notice about Paul and Apollos and anybody who's alive today in spiritual leadership. We have different gifts and different assignments. One's a church planner, one's a pastor. See it? 
One planted, another watered. Both are servants, but they're equal. They're just performing different tasks. They're both conduits, proclaimers of the message. But here's the implication. They're both non-essential. They're both interchangeable. And they're both replaceable. So neither he who plants or he who waters is what? Anything. So if you were raising up inside of yourself about to get defensive about what I was saying, <laughs> listen to the word of the Lord. He who plants or your waters is anything. Well, who's something? The end of the verse. Only God who gives the growth. God is the sole supply. God is the essential one. We are never the center of the work. Never. Very common in Baptist life. Somebody say, well, that church is growing because of pastor so-and-so. Eh. Wrong. He's a conduit. That's all he is. It is God who gives the growth. That's a trick question, so don't answer out loud because you might be wrong. Do churches need pastors and spiritual leaders? The answer is yes. That's God's design. God's design for his church is to have pastor elders. That's, that's his design. He just doesn't need a particular one. He will supply what the church needs. Verse 8, he who plants, he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, his work. This is work. The ministry of the gospel is work. Now to understand this properly and fully, we've got to turn over to a mature church, the church at Ephesus, that was ready for solid food. So when Paul wrote to them about this issue, he goes the next step in explaining this labor. So turn to chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'll share the experience in my first church. We were, I was a whipping 20 years old, i.e. extremely immature. I knew enough Bible to be in dangerous. And we were having a meeting. One of the older men looked across his glasses. He said, young man, that's what we pay you to do. I said, no, sir. You pay me to teach you how to do it. It got just as quiet as it is in here in that room. He said, your little smart mouth will run you out of here. Didn't take them long. Anyway. I shouldn't have said it the way I said it. I learned from that experience, but, but I was right. You don't pay a preacher to do it for you. You pay a preacher to teach you how to do it with you. That's the purpose. So if you see this labor as just something the pastor's going to do, even though in this instance he's talking about the work of the spiritual leader, it widens that he has given these apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. We, 
I'm back in 1 Corinthians now. We are God's fellow workers. So when Paul says that, he's talking about he and Apollos here. But, but, but we are. We understand that from the rest of the New Testament. We are God's fellow workers, but at the same time, we are God's field and God's building. So I can't think I'm all that, and you can't think you're all that. We're a part of the work, and we are the work. So this shared labor that we have is far from inconsequential. The Lord has brought us together for the work of the gospel. We're we're not to consider ourselves as the same in that we're all doing the same thing, but we all see ourselves as servants, and we understand this, that this work that we're called to, this shared work, will not go unnoticed because it's an accountable labor. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And you say, well, man, Paul thinks a lot of himself. He just called himself a skilled master builder. No, he didn't. He said, I'm like a skilled master builder. And here's how he knows he's like one because he laid the right foundation. What's the foundation? It's at the end of Verse 11, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Any of you that began with the gospel and clearly proclaimed the gospel and any church that begins with the gospel as its foundation begins like a master builder. So thanks be unto God that Parkwood didn't birth out of a split. Parkwood did not birth out of anger or reaction. Parkwood birthed out of the gospel. That there were these two brand new neighborhoods, Sherwood and Gardner Park, thus Parkwood. That's where it comes from. That the intention was to come over here and reach all these new people moving here. It's the same thing driving us today. We're going where the growth is, planting new churches to reach the new people who are coming. It was the gospel that was the foundation, and that is what has been built on since. That is what we must continue to build on. And here's what we've got to understand. A few weeks ago, over in, in Europe, these grand cathedrals anywhere, and, and all of them, they were telling, we went to them, they were telling the history. Many of them were over a 1,000 years old, still standing there. Now, they're repairing them, some of them, but still standing there over a 1,000 years later. Why? Because a skilled master builder laid a proper foundation. And then from there, they took care how they built. At the Canterbury Cathedral, which is absolutely beautiful, they explained how it took centuries to build that building. Not decades, centuries. That means whoever laid the design for the foundation did not live to see it finished. Emma went to be with Jesus recently. Thanks be unto God that that which he started is still going. Here's my prayer. When I'm dead and gone, she's still going. Here's my prayer. When you're dead and gone, she's still going. My prayer is this, that when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, she's still here. Amen. And I'm going to tell you how she won't be. You people get in your flesh, you'll kill her. You allow somebody this access to this pulpit who preaches in their flesh and lives in their flesh, 
you'll kill her. She'll die. So what's got to happen here? We've got to have the right kind of builders. Look, he identifies three laborers. I'm going to call two of them builders. We'll get to the third one in a second. The first builder builds with gold, silver, and precious stones. See it, verse 12. If anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest on the day we'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. There's the two things I want you to notice about these gold, silver, and precious stones. First, that's the things that were used to build the temple. You can look at 1 Chronicles 29, for example. See what God's saying. What I built the temple out of, that's what you are. You're the temple. He's going to say that clearly in verse 17. The other thing you want to see about these elements is not just that they're symbolic. They're elements that will not burn in a fire. They'll last. The wood, hay, and straw are going to burn up. So what's the difference? Let me just describe. Gold, silver, and precious stones are doing God's work with God's resources, God's way. These things are defined in the Bible. They are revealed in the Scripture. They are borne out by the Holy Spirit. So I'll give you an example. Some people say, well, y'all are Baptist church, you got elders. So therefore, the logic is, because you're Baptist, you ought not to have elders. Well, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches a plurality of elders. I'd rather be Bible than Baptist. Some of you are not sure about that. I'd rather follow the Scripture. Traditions get in the way of God's church. And they become assumed they're God's way. God's way is revealed in the Scripture. So we do God's work, God's way, with God's resources. And when the day comes, because it's coming, when Jesus comes and the work of our labor enters into this refining fire, it's not a punishment fire, I mean, not refining fire either, it's a revealing fire. So this fire is going to show whether what we did was from God. So builder number two. Builder number two uses wood, hay, and straw. So what's builder number two doing? Builder number two is taking up God's work. Now track with me here. They're taking up God's work, but they do it man's way with man's supply. I'm trying not to preach a long time, but let me just give you an example here. We don't use a fundraising firm to come in here and shame and guilt you into giving. Two weeks from now, we're going to give toward a project. If God's led you to give and you've prayed and sought the Lord as a member of this church, whatever you give is from God, that's enough. Now, where you can break this thing down is you don't seek the Lord over the issue. But we're not going to bring some firm in to use man's techniques and shame you. Number two, we're not going to borrow money. If God doesn't supply it through us, then we don't need it. We'll just wait. That'll be God's answer. So we do God's work, God's way. But if you use man's resources and you do it man's way, here's what's going to happen. When Jesus comes, it's going to burn. It's not going to last. So if anyone work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but it is only 
through fire. These are believers. Their intention is to do the right thing. They're just doing it the wrong way with the wrong supply. I want you to look at the next chapter. We'll deal with this more at length when we get there. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. Now, don't take this and interpret it the wrong way. So Paul is not saying that you can be sincere and continue to do the wrong thing and expect God to bless it. The wrong thing is always, always, even if you're sincere. Now, here's one of the things I've realized. I've been in the ministry a long time now. I have done the wrong things with a sincere motive. It was still wrong. What revealed it was wrong? It wasn't a business meeting. It's the Word of God. The Word of the Lord is what instructs and corrects. But here's what it does mean, man. Now, this frightens me. It means that I can do the right thing with the wrong motive and it still burn up. It frightens me personally. It frightens me for a church. I want to hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful servant. Servant. Do you hear it? Servant. He's not going to be wowed by any of us on that day. That's about to get deadly serious in the room. I make no apologies for it. I'm just letting you know it's coming. There's one more group of laborers and these people work hard. But they're not builders, they're destroyers. And what God has to say to them is serious and sober. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God's God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, this is for those like me who was a person who was caught up in the suicide of someone that I loved, my best friend in high school. Unfortunately, this verse was taken out of context and used to say that anybody who commits suicide goes to hell. This is not what this verse is about. You're ripping it from the context of what's there. Now here's how I know that's not what it's talking about. Because the you is plural. Now read it that way. Do you, plural, the church at Corinth, let's put it to us. Do you, Parkwood, do you know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? Do you know that? Okay, well here's the implications of it. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy you. Now, what does the word destroy mean? It means to tear down, to bring to ruin, to cause to cease to be. 
If I wanted to tear down this facility, which is not the church, we could do it two ways. We could have a wrecking ball delivered over here and we could all come and within a matter of hours, they'd knock this thing to the ground. Or we could release a colony of termites underneath the building and give it a few years. Now, most churches don't tolerate wrecking balls. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes someone comes in and they're just a wrecking ball and they tear things apart quickly. It's usually a preacher. But boy, do churches tolerate termites. Slowly, methodically, collectively, gnawing away at the foundation of the church until she's destroyed. Now, when everybody hear me carefully, you've got to put together what I'm saying because we're going to sing about it in a minute. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What Jesus means there is that his church, universal, over time and places, that his church will never be destroyed. That when Jesus comes, he will find his people alive and well on the earth. But you hear me. When he comes, he may not find Parkwood. And the only reason he won't is because Parkwood allows someone or a group of people to destroy her. The church universal will never be destroyed, but a local church can be destroyed and she can be destroyed quickly. And you hear me what God says. If you ever get caught up or you could be caught up. Because I realize there are other people going to be listening to what I'm preaching today in this community. If you are caught up in destroying a church, you better sober up today. You don't understand what's going on in my church. I don't understand what's going on in your church. If it's ungodly and against Scripture, the Scripture have given you a means to do it. If you take up something that needs to be addressed that is ungodly and unscriptural, you don't do it in a natural human way. Wrong is always wrong. Always. The Bible tells you how to address it. And you say, well, the church won't address it. Then it's time to move. Sidebar, this is free. I'm going to tell you when it's not time to move because it's happening somewhere else in town. I've been in Gastonia long enough. There's a herd. They find where it's happening. They move to the happening. Move to the happening. That's not being a faithful church member. That's not doing what God called you to do. We join in the work. We, we're a part of what God has called us to do. And we don't join in destroying. So, this is intentional. I do not have an individual in my mind, but I dare say you're here or listening to me. If you have been a part of destroying a local church, you need to repent before God today. Today. You need to own your part in what you did. And you need to seek restoration with the Lord and restoration with the people that you have harmed. 
And if that church still survives, you need to go to those people and repent before God, before them, and seek their forgiveness. If those sheep are scattered, because that's what happens. The young sheep get scattered when something gets destroyed. You need to go seek them, and you need to apologize to them and seek their forgiveness. Now, how do we keep from doing this? How do we keep from getting to a place where we destroy each other? All right, listen to me. First of all, you don't ever tolerate somebody here who doesn't preach the Bible. The second side is you don't tolerate somebody who lives like the devil who claims to be your preacher in the, in the community. You don't tolerate those two things. The Bible's told you how to deal with it. He's given you elders how to deal with it. Those of you who think, well, the elders in the pastor's hip pocket, you don't know our elders. You don't. They are men of God who stand on the word of God. I violate the word of God, I'll be gone. And that's right. And that's good. God has given you a means of how to approach it with two or three witnesses. You approach it and you deal with it in a godly way. Number two, how do you avoid this? You give yourself to the work of the Lord. It's funny how when you're doing the right thing, you don't have time to worry about the wrong thing. You ever noticed? So here's the big question for Parkwood. Are we giving ourselves to the work of the Lord? Is that what we're doing? I firmly believe this is one of the reasons Parkwood doesn't have a lot of conflict. We don't have cancer. We've had the flu lately. But we don't have cancer here. And I think one of the reasons is we give ourselves to the work of the Lord. We, we, we hold true what we've summarized in a sentence. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples to our neighbors, and to the nations. All of this built on the foundation, which is the gospel. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he picks this subject up again in an unusual place. He's been teaching on the resurrection from the dead. And here's what he says. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See the foundation? It's the finished work of Christ, what Christ has accomplished on the cross, on our behalf, that he died in our place. That he was buried and rose again. And that he ascended and seated on the right hand of God. And he is coming again. It is that foundation that we build on. The victory that is ours in Christ and the victory that is coming. And because of that, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable. Don't be flighty. Don't be jumping around. Be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing this. That your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There have been some hard days in my life in this gospel ministry work. I say this with kindness when I say it. I don't say this with anger or malice. My hardest days have been at the hands of church members. And you could do this. You could say, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it for my health. It's not worth it for my family. Then the Bible rings in my ears. 
Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not in vain. It is never, ever in vain. Now notice a word he doesn't use there. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is easy. It's just not there. Work implies difficulty. Amen. When I first wrote the, put together our purpose statement, people were like, why are you, don't use that word laboring's negative. No, it's not. It's reality. It's reality. It's not negative. If we're going to do this, we have to do it together, and it's hard. But it's never in vain. So here's what I know, brothers and sisters. I know that on the day when he comes, there are going to be people from every tongue and tribe and nation and land at that throne. Right now, they don't all know him. So we're going to keep loading up on airplanes and calling people to go. And we're going to go. And we're going to proclaim the gospel because we know that's not in vain. It's hard, but it is not in vain. And we're going to keep raising up and planting churches and we're going to keep giving ourselves to the work and prayerfully, by God's grace, we're not going to get into it with each other and divide and splinter and split and fall apart. But by God's grace, we're going to keep going and we're going to give ourselves to the labor of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, protect your church. Protect your church, God. This is yours. You long since convicted me to stop using the word my when I talked about this church. This is not my church. This is yours. These are your people. We are your people. So protect your church. Protect us from the evil one and protect us from each other. Protect us from wolves who would come in and harm us. Lord, I pray, I plead for men and women in this room right now who've been hurt by other churches. Maybe even this one. I pray that you'd give healing to their heart. That you would give them forgiveness in their heart toward those who have harmed them. And Lord, that you would cause them to see beyond the pain and to see that the work of the Lord still exists. And that it's not in vain. May we pick it up together. Lord, without naming any of them, I plead for local churches who are at each other's throat. Even right now, Spirit of God, fall on them before they quit their time of worship. Convict their hearts to turn to you. Lord, would you renew the work of the gospel in Gaston County? Would you pour out your Spirit on the Bible Belt? Would you pour out your spirit on our nation and the world? May we quit acting like what we see in the world and may we act like your people and give ourselves to your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. 
For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.